Well, good morning, Rock Hills. We're continuing our summer road trip, and I'm calling my sermon today The Late Night Talk. I don't know if you've ever been on a road trip, um, and you arrive at your destination, you're still awake, it's late. For some of you rugged types, it's going to be at a campsite. For me, it's probably going to be at the hotel bar. But you start having a talk with friends that are loved ones you're really good with, and you start out talking about silly stuff, Scooby-Doo, movies, the stuff... And the talk gets kind of serious because you're talking with really good friends about, dude, what, what do I do about this situation in my life? So I'm thinking about a late night talk in the middle of uh, a summer road trip. And as with all good, deep philosophical things, it's going to start with Facebook. Um, I, about a month and a half ago, maybe two months ago, there was this meme going around Facebook about concerts, and people were writing down 10 concerts they'd been to, and I, because I'm kind of a dork, I I couldn't think of maybe six, and if you knock out the ones that were like Christian bands that I went to with a youth group, I got down to about two, because I just, uh, I was born 90 years old, and I, like, stuff is too loud for me, but I enjoy music, but one concert I did go to in graduate school was a band called Belly that was kind of a one-hit wonder. 1993, they had a song called Feed the Tree. It was clearly a critical concert because I got in for free with my Discover card. So clearly there were lines for that one. It was in a gym. But they sang their song. And this was a catchy song that was going around 1993. As I said, it's number one. But the lyrics of it are a little bit odd, right? And they kind of, uh, they kind of have some philosophy behind the lyrics. So I wanted to play for you a quick clip of this song, and those of you that are young enough and say, what were you thinking in 1993? I can't explain it if this is how the music was. But please, let's play the video clip of this song called Feed the Tree.
that was, believe it or not, number one song back in 1993. And the lyrics that I focused on when I was re-listening to this song, because after I thought about this thing from Facebook, I, of course, downloaded it to hear it again, were, take your hat off, boy, when you're talking to me, and be there when I feed the tree. So I had an idea what I thought these lyrics meant, and I went and looked it up. Um, and I was, I was on the right track. So basically, this lead singer on her family property, there is a very, very large tree, and there are family graves at the foot of this tree. And so she said the song was about respect, and the way that you show respect to her was taking your hat off when you talk to her and be there for her funeral when she dies. But the message in the song that I think is clear is when we die, what we do is we feed the tree. That's it. That's all there is. Our bodies go into the ground, and what we do is feed the tree. And this is certainly one view of the world that I think a lot of people have. And I've been thinking, kind of like these late-night talks, I've been thinking a lot about different people's views of the world because of some personal stuff that's been happening with some friends of mine. About a month and a half ago, I got an email from a friend, lifelong friend. I've known this friend since 1974. Been very good friends since 1974, and he wrote to me and to some others and said, I want you to know that I am, will not be contactable at my email or my phone. I'm checking myself into a psychiatric clinic because I have overwhelming depression, could not get myself out of bed, and I know I need help. And I'm going into this. And now he's doing, he's doing better. He's still, he's still under some treatment. But this was a, a bit of a surprise to me. Um, and at the time when he did this, I didn't have any more contact for a while. And so I didn't know, oh, gosh, has he got thoughts of hurting himself? I mean, what's going on? And I asked people in the church to pray for him. And I got a lot of um, feedback, got a lot of feedback um, from people who would said they would pray for him and told me, you know, my life has been touched by suicide of loved ones. My life has been touched by this. And even I have had, I found out, well, it was sometime this year that a person that I went to high school with and went to church with in high school had also taken her own life. So this is serious matter, how we deal with things in our life that are negative. And a lot of how you deal with things in your life that are negative depends on something that I'm going to call your world view, your worldview. Your worldview is kind of how you understand, process, and act on things that happen in the world. And different people in the world will act differently based on their worldviews. I'll give a quick example. And this is from over 10 years ago, so the details are getting a little bit fuzzy. But I took a management class, and they told us about a survey that was given to people all over the world. And in this survey, you're told to imagine a situation where you are driving with a friend and, well, you're riding, the friend is driving, and the friend, through negligence, causes a large amount of property damage with his car. To my memory, nobody got hurt, but there also are no witnesses, so nobody knows for sure what happened. And in this scenario that you're imagining, a month later, a policeman comes to your door and says, did your friend cause this damage? And 80% of respondents in the U.S. said they would tell the policeman, yes, my friend causes damage. And in another country, I can't remember exactly which one it was, I believe it was an Asian country, 80% of respondents said, no, I would not tell the policeman that my friend did this. I would tell them he didn't. 
And the interesting part about this was when these results were shared with people from the different countries, both people in the U.S. and in the Asian countries said, oh my goodness, people in the other country are so immoral. Because people in the U.S. valued truth and people in the other country valued loyalty, right? Different frames of reference about what is important, different frames of reference that show you how to act. And these frames of reference for your thought or action, they're studied by philosophers and things, and they're called worldviews. Um, you may not be conscious of the name of it. You may not um, even know the name of what your worldview is, but your worldview informs your understanding of your place in the world and the actions you take. It's not necessarily a religion or belief, although it can be, not necessarily a philosophy. It's more of a scaffold on which you build your life. You take in events and information and put into that scaffold, and it builds who you are and how you will react. Now, I'm getting some of this information um, from a book I read called The Universe Next Door because what you are building with your worldview is your understanding of the universe, The Universe Next Door by a guy called James Sire. And in it, he says, here are the questions that a worldview answers. Even if you're not conscious of it, what you're trying to answer when you have a worldview is, what is the prime reality? What is really real? What's the nature of the world around us? What does it mean to be a human being? Are we different than animals or not? What happens to human beings when we die? Starting to sound like late night talk, yeah, after, after you've maybe had an adult beverage or so, you know, the kind of things you start to talk about. Why is it possible to know anything at all? How do we know what is right and what is wrong? Is it what I think is right, is wrong, right and wrong? Is it an external standard? What's the meaning of human history? Why do so many people have to die in a tsunami? How do we interpret that? What is the meaning of that? And then at the, in the latest version of his book, he also says it's good to answer or good to understand how the different worldviews, whatever worldview you have, will impact your behavior. What kind of life-altering commitments do you make? So what I'm going to do this morning, because I think it's relevant when we start talking about how people react to negative circumstances, I think it's important to understand the background worldview that a lot of people have. So I'm going to talk about four worldviews that I personally find to be the most common in people that I interact with. I'm a scientist, so I tend to deal with kind of rational, you know, people that are sciencey. These are the four that I think that I deal with the most. There are others. I'm just not going to talk about them all today. But these are ones I think are important. The first worldview that you see over here is Christian theism. Christian theism. Theism is the idea that God created the world and interacts with it, wants to know you personally, or wants to interact with his creation, that there is a supernatural that interacts with nature. That is theism, and especially when you bring, when you talk about Jesus and the God of the Bible, that's Christian theism. There are other kinds of theism. There's Islamic theism too, but this is Christian theism is the one I feel like I deal with a lot. The next that I see a lot is called deism. Sounds like theism, but deism is the idea that there was a God or a creator or a creative force or something 
that created the world. The world is not random. It was created by something. But then that creator, that God, that creative force, let it go and is no longer involved with it, you know? No longer involved with it. Um, Some people describe this as being like a watchmaker. The creator, the God, creates the watch, winds the watch, but then lets it run and doesn't interact with the watch anymore and doesn't even really look at the watch anymore. Um, This is a kind of older philosophy. You wouldn't see many people practicing it today, although I will say I have seen on the Internet, on YouTube, there's an actress called um, Miam Bialik. She plays Amy on Big Bang Theory and played Blossom when she was younger. But in between those times, she went and got a Ph.D. in microbiology. And she is also... Uh, Jewish and very observant of her religion. And she has an entire um, video about how can I be a scientist and religious at the same time. But in it, when you start to listen to what her definition of religion is, it's very deist. It's like, God doesn't require anything of me. <laughs> God, But I see God in gravity. I see God in pressure. I see God in equations that describe the world. So it to me is like, yes, there's a God, but it's completely impersonal. Now, the next one is probably the one that I feel I deal with the most, which is naturalism, and this natural is like nature. And that is the idea of, well, let's take deism, just move that little red crown off of it and say, there is no God at all, right? Why do you need God in all of this? All there is is nature. And this is, I feel, for people that I, that I run into outside of the Christian community, this is the most common worldview I run into. All there is is nature, Um, The universe is closed. It's a closed system. There's nothing that acts on the universe from outside. And my friend who went into the clinic, this is his position for sure on life. He wouldn't say I'm a naturalist, but when he was visiting me last February, we had this long talk and he was, he's been thinking a little bit about his own mortality, I would say. And he was asking me like where I thought my grandmother who has passed away, but he knew her growing up where I thought my grandmother was. And I said, well, I think, I believe that her body is in the ground, but her spirit is with God because, and he, he just told me, that's just crazy. That's, that's crazy. Her body is in the ground. That's where, that's where what was her is. And there, there is no more of her. There is no part of her that exists now. So that is his, that is his um, viewpoint. That's the viewpoint of a lot of people. I find this uh, an interesting viewpoint because I think it's really hard if you really think about naturalism, to get to the point about why we believe there is a right and a wrong. If all we are is nature, why would we, why would we believe that there is a right and a wrong? We don't think it's morally wrong when a lion kills a gazelle to survive, right? We don't think that's a moral problem for the lion. But if we really are biological machines... Why is it a problem if we harm others so that we survive better? You know, we all have a sense that it is. We all, or many of us, have a sense that it is wrong to harm other people. But where does that come from if you believe that all that there is is nature? That's a question that I have. And the other thing that happens is for people that really start thinking about this, there are some who think we are such machines that we have no free choice. And, you know... If two people are walking past a burning building and one runs in and the other doesn't to save people who are there, it's only because the biology and chemistry of that person's brain is such that they're going to run in. It has nothing to do with choice or action 
or heroism or anything. It's all stimulus and response. In fact, that can lead to what I see as the fourth, um, the fourth worldview, which is nihilism. I think some call it nihilism. I've always pronounced it nihilism. And this is the view that n- there is no hope, nothing makes sense, everything Everything is unreal. Certainly, there is no God, but we can't even trust the things we see. Everything we see in front of us may not even be there. The idea there, if you want to get, and this sounds like, you know, crazy late night discussion, the idea is, I see you in front of me. I see Sergio in front of me. Is that because he's really there or because chemicals in my brain are just having, you know, telling me that he's there? Um, Sergio, it's hard to know, but... (laughs) but, um, Anyway, but this form of thinking, I think, is kind of celebrated in our art, in our movies a lot of the time. I saw this movie, you know, this Manchester by the Sea won all kinds of awards. But it's a movie that, man, its message is bad stuff happens. There is no redemption. Done. And Hollywood celebrates that finally someone says there's not a happy ending. It's kind of a nihilistic ending. So these are the four... um, worldviews that I believe people have. Although, as I say, people don't really consciously say, oh, I'm a naturalist. Point. You know, they don't do that. But this is what's underlying. Naturalism is what's taught to our kids in school, right? I mean, that's certainly what's taught to our kids. They have this viewpoint. And this viewpoint, these viewpoints, these worldviews will impact how they react when bad things happen. You know, when bad things happen, it can really change your point of view. I am. Uh, this week, my wife and younger daughter have been out of town. And I uh, got the privilege of spending some time with my older daughter, and she asked me on Wednesday to make this one dish in my house that I'm known for. It's a beef dish, and it's got a lot of ginger in it. And I love ginger, but I don't like prepping it because it's a lot of work. So I got the brilliant idea. Let, you know, if I use the grater that has the really big holes in it, It'll have really big pieces of ginger she can pick out, and it'll be really good, and it'll be fast. So I got that idea in my head, so I picked the grater of death to do the ginger with no guard, with no, um, <laughs> nothing but a nub of ginger. And I'm brilliantly, like, probably watching a TV show or something while I'm doing this. And that was the, <laughs> that was the result. So immediately, all my happy thoughts of, well, I'm cooking dinner for my daughter changed to, okay, that hurts. Um, I'm thinking, what's going through my head? Uh, this unexpected negative event, I'm like thinking, did I get blood in the ginger? Did I get thumb in the ginger? Can I use the ginger? And of course, you know, I'm thinking, is this deep enough that i got to worry about like ER or clinic? And for those of you who know my very organized wife, there's a little part of my brain that's, what if I bleed in part of the house where it's not allowed to be messy? <laughs> What, what, how can I hide this evidence, you know? I won't say that took, that took precedence over the ER thought, but um, our thought about what is life really about, what is our worldview, comes into sharp focus when negative events happen. For my friend, um, who, as I told you, naturalist, does not believe in God at all, um, he, this, in this spring, he had a neighbor that had no family and was dying. And my friend, because he felt sympathy, got involved, went to the hospital, got him out of the hospital and into hospice, even though he was only a neighbor, um, got him into hospice. And 
although he didn't know this is what was going to happen, he ended up holding his hand as he died, right? Nothing, (laughs) so for a person that was going through life, and he has a pretty successful life, I would say, you know, it brings into sharp relief, why am I here when you see this person who dies alone and you're their only comfort? Um, Very serious, you know. So when tragedy strikes, where do those worldviews leave you? When tragedy strikes, what do you have left to cling to? If you're a naturalist, if you believe that we're just here, I mean, why does anybody care, right? There's nothing beyond this, and if your life is shorter, it's just shorter, and that's the end of you. As my friend said, you know, after we're di- after he told me, in 30 years, we will just be dead and gone, and there is nothing left of us, right? When you have a worldview that says there is no God that interacts with you, it can be a very lonely place to be when tragedy strikes. And it's understandable to me how some people can say, I, I can't take this loneliness. I've got to do something drastic about this loneliness. So I want to talk about what we know as believers, as Christians, if you're a Christian today, what we know that God has told us. And I want to be very, very clear. I do not believe in Jesus because it makes me feel better. Not at all. I believe the historical evidence that Jesus lived, was crucified in Rome, and rose again is stronger than evidence for almost anything we have in history. I believe it because it's true. But knowing this, I can take comfort in what God has told us. One of the things that God has told us, he tells us that he personally loves us and has a plan for us. First thing, God says he knows everything about us. Psalm 139, verses 1 through 6. David says, you have searched me, Lord, and you know me. And you know when I sit and when I rise, you perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. You know, some of those words I'm not always proud of. But anyway, God God knows it. You hem me in behind and before. You lay your hand upon me. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me, too lofty for me to attain. God knows us personally. Scripture is clear. Jesus is clear that God knows us personally. He's not the watchmaker who made a watch, wound it, and let it go. God knows us personally. And even as God knows us, he's willing to forgive us for our wrongdoing. Isaiah 43, 25 says, I, even I, am he who blots out your transgressions for my own sake and remembers your sins no more. God knows us and is willing to forgive us for the things we've done wrong. God has said, God is a God of justice and has said there are consequences for doing things that are wrong, but God, and that consequence is separation from him after we die. But God desires all people to come to him and be saved from the consequences of their sin. God knows you well, knows what you do wrong, and wants to be you to be forgiven. First Timothy two one to four says, I urge you with first of all that petitions, prayers, intercession, and thanksgiving be made for all people, for kings and those in authority, that we may live peaceful and quiet lives in all godliness and holiness. 
This is good and pleases God our Savior. Here's the point I want to make. Who wants all people to be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. God's desire is that you know him and experience him. In fact, God waits patiently for us, it says. Second Peter 3, 8-9 says, Do not forget this one thing, dear friends. With the Lord, a day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years are like a day. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but wanting everyone to come to repentance. He's patient with you through the things that you do, through the things that I do that are wrong. And I think the most important part and the most amazing part is that God loved us enough to die for us. Romans 5, 6 through 8 says, You see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for the sins he knew we would commit in the future. This is the good news of the gospel. God has said that everyone has sinned, everyone has done wrong. And that the wages of sin is death, which is a separation from God. But God loved us so much that he sent his son Jesus to die for us. And all we're required to do, we're not required to follow the Ten Commandments every day. All we're required to do is put our faith in this saving act that God did. If you've never taken that step of faith before, I encourage you, talk to me after the service. If you see Al in the back, talk to Al. We're happy to talk to you about placing your faith in Jesus And once we take that step of faith, once you've taken that step of faith, when the trouble comes, when a loved one is stricken with an illness, when you're stricken with an illness, when a loved one dies unexpectedly, God is there with us. God is there with us. He walks with us and we can give our our cares to him. 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. And Philippians 4, verses 6 through 7 says, Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This is the message we have of hope. When we go through troubles, and troubles can be very severe, God is with us through those troubles. And the troubles themselves are part of God's plan. God says all things work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We know we are part of the plan. We know that God loves us. And the one thing I will encourage you about taking this step of faith, which I just spoke about, the Bible is very clear that the time to take that step of faith is while you are alive. Luke 16 has a uh, verse, a parable that Jesus told about a rich man and his servant Lazarus, and they both die, and they are, uh, they are in the afterlife, and the rich man is separated from God, and Lazarus is not. And the rich man asks 
can Lazarus please go tell my family what happens after I die? And Jesus is quite clear that the time to make decisions is while you are alive. You know, I asked Step Row to do a very funny thing here. You may have noticed she's been sitting on the stage the entire time. And if you're like me, uh, when you saw her sitting there, you'd be like, what, what is she doing? Why is she, why is she sitting there? And I'd be sitting there worried about it, trying to figure it out. And my question that I have, um, I feel this is a little bit how God is, right? God's waiting for you and is always there. If you're not taking that step of faith yet, God has been waiting there throughout your life. But it's really easy, it's really easy to put off questions of faith when we've got so much stuff going on, being distracted. I'm curious, no show of hands, how many of you saw the object that she held up? I'll ask a little pop quiz. I'll ask a little pop quiz. Was it silver? Was it red? Was it blue? Or was it none of the above? Did she not hold something up? How comfortable would you be to get that answer right? How comfortable would you be that you get that answer right? Because in life, we get distracted. We think, oh, I need to pay attention to what this God thing. I've got someone at church telling me. I've got other people telling me. This seems like it's important. And God is waiting. But we get distracted. And we don't know. And we take our eyes off of the most important question that we can answer. I encourage you today, don't take your eyes off that. If you have questions, ask us. You know, ask us here. We're happy to help. But it's an important question that you need to not ignore. God is there. And may I say also that if you're taking that step of faith, that God is there in the same way, even when you have times when you feel distanced from God, Right? We have times in our life when we feel like, oh, I just haven't prayed. I just haven't, I haven't been close to God lately. And God, in the exact same way, wants continued relationship with you. God is there like Step has been there the whole time, just waiting, waiting for that interaction. Psalm 51 says, this is a, a psalm that David wrote. David, King David, God says a man after God's own heart, did some amazing things amazing things for God. But he also had a very bad moral failing where he murdered someone. And this is his psalm about God. Have mercy on me, O God. This is after his failing. According to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions, and my sin is always before me, Against you and only you have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you're right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. God is there for you, whether you've never put your faith in him before or you have and you feel like you're distance God waits God waits for you for a relationship um, so how do I conclude today you know we have friends going through a lot and I encourage you if you've got friends that are going through things if they have these worldviews, they may not even know it but if they think look all there is is this life bad times are going to be very hard to sustain, to endure. 
love them. Teach them about the love that God has for us. You can be the person that tells them in a world that tells them there's nothing for you. This world is all there is. You could tell them God loves them and God has a plan for them. The truth is God cares for us and he's waiting for us all the time. Like Step was waiting here. I'd like to say, if you're a person right now who is struggling with really difficult life events and you don't know what you're going to do about them, we'd love to walk with you. We have set up an email address called care at rockhills.com, care at rockhills.com. We wouldn't help you. We wouldn't talk about issues with this. We would use this address to be able to set up a time to meet with you. That would normally be Pastor Adam, but Pastor Adam is for the next week or two, a little bit busy, and we'll share why here in just a minute. But if you are struggling, write us this email address. It'll go to the elders and some of the leaders of the church, and we'll be sure that someone can get in contact with you to help you through this time to remember that God is here for you during the times that are tough. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your love for us. We pray for our friends who have are struggling and have a view that um, there is no one that can help them, nothing that can help them. We pray that these friends would find you in these times of trouble and that we could be uh, instruments of your peace, instruments of your love. Just pray for everyone that's here as they go, they can remember today the love that God has for us and that, he's constantly, that you are constantly with us. In Jesus' name, amen.